Well, be seated. It's good to see you all here this morning. Trust that you're doing well. Um, as we get closer and closer to uh, Christmas, um, the 10 o'clock service is probably going to become more and more packed and full, which is fantastic. But that means that you might hear me from time to time ask you to be more and more willing to scooch forward a little bit. Uh, these two empty rows up here at the front, we still have room. Uh, as you come in, seriously, on Sunday mornings, 10 o'clockers, um, just, just whatever spot you feel like God's leading you to, just go one more row forward and just push that next person <laughs> forward. Just keep nudging them forward. Uh, we might need to scooch in a little bit, too, as we get closer and closer to Christmas Eve. We're not sure yet where we're going to put everybody in the three Christmas Eve services. We had uh, 553 past this past Easter, and historically, our Christmas Eve services kind of mirror Easter, so we have no idea what to expect um, but we're excited um, that God is working in this church and in your lives and bringing us all here together. And so uh, a couple things. Um, first of all, if you're visiting with us uh, today, uh, you're new here or haven't been here too long, um, I would be honored to get to visit with you. Um, and so after the end of the service, I'm going to be at the end of the hallway in the room, the last room in the hallway on the left. Um, and unless you come by and see me, I'm there by myself, just drinking coffee, hanging out, checking Twitter. So come by and see me. Um, even if we've met, just an opportunity to get to know you better, that would be an honor for me. Um, also want to uh, let you know if you're thinking about becoming a member here at Solid Rock, we do that through Connect Class. Um, we have a Connect Class coming up in just a few weeks on December the 18th during the 10 o'clock service. Uh, here's the good news. We've condensed Connect Class down to one class. So for those of you who joined through two, you're thinking, well, that's not fair. Well, just know there are people in the room who joined through four. And so we have condensed it down to what we feel like is the most important information for you to know before making a decision to become a member here. And if that's you, um, we'd love for you to come sit in on Connect Class. No commitment required. You can just kind of hear a little bit about how the church is structured, what we believe, and where we're going. Uh, that's on December the 18th at 10 o'clock. Um, and we're going to be meeting in the student room. But here's what we need today. If you're thinking about coming, if you would just drop your name and email address on the sign-up sheet that's on the column back here in the Connect Corner, that'll allow us to have the right number of booklets printed out. So if that's you, you're thinking about visiting, joining that class, we don't mind printing too many. We just don't want to have too few. So drop your name on that and let us know. Um, also want to make you aware of, if you haven't picked up your Advent uh, book yet, we have printed those for you. Some more copies we ran out last week. Uh, today is the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, these books are basically family worship guides for you and your family. They follow the sermon series, give you a chance um, on Sunday evenings with your family to sit down to walk through Scripture together. There are discussion questions in there, and then there's a song to sing as a family. Um, our boys just love this. Last, uh, last Sunday night we did it, and we finished the song, and they're like, hey, let's sing more. And so uh, feel free to do that. You can YouTube your favorite you know, version of that Christmas song and just sing it there as a family, or you can do it acapella, which is how we did it. It was a little, a little messy, but it was fun. Um, but we do have more of those, and it's not too late to jump in on that. So those Advent booklets are on the table just outside the doors, and also these um, invites for you. Um, feel free to grab five, ten of these, however many you plan on handing out. Uh, invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family to join us on Christmas Eve for our services. It's also a good reminder of the time. Stick on your fridge uh, in case you forget. Four o'clock, five thirty, and seven o'clock are Christmas Eve times. Um, it's exciting time to be together. They will be Christmas Eve services. Um, we're we're going to be doing baptism in at least one, if not a couple, of the services this year. So we're really excited about uh, Christmas Eve this year. So I want to remind you of that as well. Feel free to grab. Five, ten, fifth, however many you commit to hand out, grab that many. Grab the whole stack if you want, as long as you hand them out. All right. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 
uh, to start this morning, Genesis chapter 12. We are in a sermon series uh, for Christmas, going through and looking at the, the uh, story, the narrative story of the Bible and how many of the big moments in our Bible, um, are these big moments are dog-eared by the symbolism of trees. And so we saw last week in the garden that the garden was literally a garden of trees. Two particular trees in the garden were the, the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this was the tree from which Adam and Eve ate, disobeying God, uh, setting in motion a curse of sin and death for the entire family history of Adam and Eve. It wasn't just uh, a curse that they endured as a couple, but they passed it on generation after generation to the point where you and I sit here today impacted by their decision. We saw the fall of the human family tree in the garden. It kind of left us wanting more. It left us with a sense of somebody needs to fix this. And unless God intervenes, this whole thing that God has created is going to be derailed in the end in a complete mess. And so today we're going to be looking at the tree of promise, where thousands of years before the birth of Jesus, thousands of years before that moment where God sends his son, he makes to us, us, a promise. Before you were ever alive on this earth to acknowledge or hear, God made you a promise. And so today we're going to be looking at this tree of promise. Starting in Genesis chapter one, uh, 12, verse 1 through 3. Now this may not be for you a typical go-to Christmas passage, but I believe by the, our, the time our, our time is done today, we'll all see the beauty of Christmas in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. So hang with me. Now this, this is where we're going to drop in on a conversation between God and Abraham. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now if you're looking for the Christmas story, uh, the Christmas story is subtle, but it's there. One of the first hints is this, that this land that God is going to show him, we know ultimately is Israel. At the heartbeat of Israel, we find Bethlehem, the place where Jesus would be born. But in a more specific way, when we get to verse 3, God is proclaiming this promise to Abraham that will impact us all. So what is God promising to Abraham? First of all, he's coming to a man who is married but has no children because his wife is barren. He's saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a family tree. Matter of fact, you're going to have such a large family tree that that family tree is going to become a great nation, which will become the nation of Israel. But the, the end of the promise is this, that Abraham, through you, through your descendants, through your family tree, I am going to bless all other family trees. Now this sets, sets forth in motion the promise of God that will lead to the birth of Jesus. It sets forth in motion the beginning of a great nation, the nation of Israel. Now we're going to look together at a couple of things if you're taking notes, let's fill in the blank first. 
So at this moment, when God's making this promise in Genesis chapter 12, he's speaking blessing in the midst of curse. We're just, we're just nine chapters removed from the garden where God says, not only Adam and Eve, are you going to be cursed, but every generation is going to be cursed. You're going to pass on this curse to your children. They'll pass it on to their children. And now God in chapter 12 is speaking blessing. God promises in Genesis chapter 12 to restore fallen humanity from the curse of sin and death through the family tree of Abraham. And we're going to come full circle today. We're going to spend the rest of our time, as a matter of fact, looking at that one truth. That when God speaks this promise to Abraham, it's less about him and Sarah and what's going on in their lives. It's less about what's going on with their potential future children. It's less about the great nation that they'll become. And that what God is speaking in that moment is this, that he is going to reverse the effects of sin and death. See, of all that Adam and Eve experienced because of their disobedience, the primary enemy of humanity in that moment was sin and death. God said, Adam, in the moment you sin, you will die. And so every generation that has ever been alive on the earth has lived under the impact of that moment, the curse of sin and death. And it's subtle right now, but we're going to see this today, that in that moment to Abraham, what God is saying is, I am going to fix what is broken. I am going to restore what was lost. I am going to reverse the effects of sin and death. And not just for you, and not just for your future descendants, but for all families on the face of the earth. And we're going to turn now to the Gospel of Matthew. The opening of the nativity scene from Matthew's perspective Matthew is not only opening his gospel in chapter 1, he's opening up the nativity scene, and he's introducing us to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, the first 16 verses, we find this powerful expression from God in genealogy. Now, I'm sure you all have this passage memorized. Uh, This is probably some of your favorite verses are found in this section of Scripture. Um, If you're one of those people who ever wonder, why are the stinking genealogies in the Bible? I, don't, I can't even pronounce the names. Why, what, do, what do they have to do with Jesus and me? I hope today God will use this moment for you to see that even in the genealogies, they in fact are part of the holy word of God, and there's something incredibly hopeful that we find in their content. So let's start in verse 1 of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew opens with these words, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of of Abraham. Then he goes on in a very detailed way, starting in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah and Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Aminadab, excuse me, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, 
Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. You on the edge of your seats yet? Yeah, you are. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shilatiel, and Shilatiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuad, and Abuad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Now, in all sincerity, what a powerful text we just read. And I know that in the, in the jumbling up and the mispronouncing of names and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, we can get lost, if you will, from the entire message that Matthew is trying to communicate to us as he seeks to introduce Jesus to us. That's his point. He wants us to know who Jesus is. Now, in verse 1, we got a great summary of all of that when he refers to Jesus as the Christ. The Christ is the Greek rendering of the, the Old Testament version of Messiah, the promised one. So as Matthew opens up this genealogy, what he's seeking to, to show us is that Jesus is, in fact, the promised one, the Messiah of the Old Testament, the Christ of the New Testament, one and the same, that this Jesus we're about to be introduced to is, in fact, the fulfillment of Old Testament promise and prophecy. And he says that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. So what Matthew wants us to understand is not just that Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise, but a very specific promise. Starting with David, he begins to track back all the way to Abraham. So what is it about being a descendant of David that's so significant about Jesus? Why does that matter so much? Well, we know that from as early as the book of Acts, the church is launching, that one of Peter's favorite go-tos in his sermons is to preach and quote Old Testament scriptures about David and then say, ultimately, these are about Jesus. Peter does this quite often in the book of Acts. But not only that, we know that, that King David himself for the nation of Israel was an iconic figure in their history from whom would come the Messiah. We know this as early as 2 Samuel 7. A prophet comes to King David and says, King David, I want to talk to you about your lineage, about your family tree. One is coming after you. One of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. Now this was different. Because as a king, what you hoped and expected would happen is that your time here on earth, your, your time of reigning over the nation would be a fruitful and healthy reign and that you would one day die of old age, passing on the throne to one of your sons. And they would pick up the baton and do the same and lead with integrity and justice and righteousness and lead God's people to worship and to honor God above anything else here on earth. But no king expected their kids to live forever. And so this was a different kind of promise as the prophet comes to David and says, one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. So the nation of Israel clung to that promise. They held on to that promise as a messianic hope that God would one day send a rescuer, 
to rescue them. Now, one of the misinterpretations of this promise from the nation of Israel is this, that even though they knew that this messianic figure would deliver them from their enemies, they, they grossly underestimated their enemies. Because for each generation as they passed this promise on from themselves to their children that God would one day send a rescuer, they made it about what was going on in their life at that moment. And their greatest enemies were, were whoever the, the current tyrant was. Whatever nation was impeding on them and their sovereignty as a nation, whatever political skirmishes were going on, the nation of Israel felt like this is what God meant. He'll send us a rescuer from our current situation and grossly underestimating their actual greatest enemy of sin and death. It's one of the reasons why they completely miss Jesus. Because he didn't arise as a political leader and lead armies here on earth to defeat the tyrants and to push back the Romans and to establish Jerusalem and Israel as a sovereign nation. But in fact, he was born on a mission to defeat the greatest enemies that Israel ever faced, sin and death. And not only is Matthew saying that this Jesus is that messianic prophet that God promised, he's taking us back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham. You know, Abraham is a landmark icon for the nation of Israel as well. Matter of fact, the nation of Israel will call themselves children of Abraham. This great nation will look back to this promise God made in Genesis 12. And once again, misinterpreting it and completely underestimating the, the breadth and the width of God's promise. And let me share with you how that has happened. So for the nation of Israel, they got really comfortable and giddy about the idea that God had called them a chosen people. God is actually choosing them in Genesis chapter 12. Before any of them are born, God is saying, Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to choose a nation. Now, that's a big deal to be chosen by God, right? To say, God has chosen me. But if we stop at that point, and that's all we acknowledge, what then tends to happen is we become a little bit too self-aware, a little bit too self-righteous, a little bit too self-centered and prideful, and we become God's chosen people. Now, the nation of Israel, what we're hearing from God's promise here is that, in fact, they would be a chosen people, but not just a chosen people to receive the promise, a chosen people that God would work through to bring the promise to all other peoples. If you've ever struggled by reading the Old Testament thinking, well, that's not fair. God had a chosen people, and I'm not one of them. Well, first of all, God is God, and he is just and righteous. He gets to be not fair from our perspective, so he could do that if he wants. But that's not the full gospel message. The full gospel message is that God did choose Israel. It's his choice. We see over and over again in the Old Testament, it wasn't because they were super cool or righteous or obedient or honest. Like they're a bunch of corrupt, spoiled brats just like us. God didn't choose them because they were awesome and good. He just chose them. But he didn't choose them unto themselves, did he? He chose them that he could bring to all families, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all languages, the hope and the promise of Jesus. And so what Matthew is saying is that what God promised in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless Abraham's family tree and from family, his family tree, tree bless all other family trees. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And so Matthew wants us to see Jesus is related to David. He's a descendant of David, fully qualified to sit on the throne, but not for a moment, not for a generation, forever. And that Jesus is related to Abraham. He is the descendant of Abraham's family tree that through him and in him all family trees might be blessed. 
a powerful genealogy. It's a, it's a connection for you and I to Genesis chapter 12. What Matthew wants you and I to understand is that what God said to Abraham and promised to him was a promise for you. You were included in that promise before you were ever born, before you ever drew a breath, before your parents were ever born, before your grandparents were ever born. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God made a promise to a man named Abraham, and you were included in that promise. You're taking notes. Jesus is the descendant of David and Abraham, whom God promised to bring about his blessing to the nations. Jesus is that person. Now, we have to understand blessing in opposition to curse. So the curse of the garden, sin and death. The blessing would be the undoing of sin and death. That whatever this baby born in a manger would do here on earth, whatever he would grow up to look like and act like, whatever his personality would be, whatever mission he would be on, ultimately he's born unto us as a child to do what? To undo sin and death. Jesus is, in fact, the descendant of David and Abraham whom God promised. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at a few words that God spoke through the Apostle Paul about the promise to Abraham and its connection to us. Now, what God does a lot through the Apostle Paul is undoing those misconceptions for the Israelite nation. Paul himself was a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham. And so he was a, a powerful, authoritative figure that the people of Israel would listen to. And so for all their misconceptions about whoever this Messiah would be, he would be a political leader and he would lead armies. Paul is on the scene to help correct that. And for all the misconceptions that we're God's chosen people, we're the children of Abraham, we're the special ones. For all those misconceptions, God uses Paul and authority as an Israelite to say, no, 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 guys, you completely missed it. That promise wasn't just to us or about us. It was something God wanted to do through us. And guess what? He's already done it past tense. Jesus has been born. This promise for the nations is now here. Quit being prideful. Quit being arrogant. Quit thinking of yourself as the special ones, the cool ones that God chose. He simply chose you to work through you, which is true for us too, by the way. God has chosen you, but not because you're cool, really good at religion, super spiritual, devoted, obedient. God has chosen you simply because he chose you. And he's chosen you that he might work through you in the same way he chose the nation of Israel. In Galatians chapter 3, a very powerful and direct place where the Apostle Paul unpacks this for us. We're going to start in verse 7. In, in, in correcting this misconception that unless you are born of Jewish descent, you're not a child of Abraham, Paul begins by saying this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, or children of the promise. That was a very powerful statement for Paul to make in his context among his generation as a Jewish person. Saying, listen guys, Jews and Gentiles alike, it's not your DNA, your earthly flesh that determines whether or not you're a promised one or a child of God. Here's what it is. It's your spiritual DNA. It is simply based on faith. That's what identifies you as a child of Abraham. Faith. And then he'll go on in verse 8 to say this. 
And the scripture, talking about the Old Testament we just read, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. You feel that connection? He's quoting Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And he's saying that those who are recipients of this promise are those who by faith trust in Christ. If you, by faith, have trusted in Christ, you're a son of Abraham. You're an heir of the promise. That transcends ethnicities and socioeconomic barriers, languages, colors of skin, backgrounds, geography. All the misconceptions of the Old Testament are unraveled here. Paul says, you want to know who the children of Abraham are? Those who are of the faith. The author of Hebrews will reiterate this in chapter 11 when he talks about Abraham and says this about Abraham. Abraham was considered righteous, not because he was perfectly obedient. Go read the rest of Genesis 12. He's in and out of obedience, a lot like us. He's in and out of, right, believing God and obeying God and walking with God. But he is considered righteous, according to Hebrews 11, because of faith. Righteous because of faith. Not religious. Not better than he used to be. Not less bad. Righteous. Abraham, perfect, holy before God. Why? Because he's the father of this great nation? No, because he believed. And this is what Paul is saying to us. The righteousness of Abraham has come to Abraham's children. Who are Abraham's children? Those who have the faith of Abraham. Those who believe God. And you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 14 of Galatians 3. So that in Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So often when Paul talks about us being recipients of the Holy Spirit of God, it's connected to our adoption, our position in God's family. We're not stepchildren. We're not neighborhood, neighborhood kids that God just lets come in for a moment and then he kicks us out when it's bedtime. God is saying, I've adopted you into my family and the tangible evidence of this is my spirit in you. Now think about that. That's more powerful than earthly adoption. We have a lot of families in our church who are engaged in adoption, but you can never give on your DNA right, to those adopted kids. You can make it legal and formal and final, which is implied here, but what God is saying, I've actually put my spirit in you. You actually have my spiritual DNA in you. You have my spirit in you if you simply believe. You're mine. You're mine. You are my children. Now think about that. Being a child of God is more about being a child of God than a child of Abraham. You see how they completely missed it? To be a child of Abraham was just an earthly way of understanding you're a child of God. Abraham was just a, a, a figure God used. Not a super spiritual figure, by the way. Not super faithful, as we've already discussed. Just a guy who God chose to use to initiate, to catalyze his plan to rescue us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. Now, for us today, if you're taking notes, the children of the promise are those who have faith that Jesus is the Christ. He's the fulfillment of what was promised. He's the Messiah, the promised one. 
Children of the promise are those who have faith that Jesus is the Christ. See, it's so hard to truly celebrate Christmas, right, without looking at the whole story. To understand that the boy, little baby boy born in a manger wasn't an oops, it wasn't a last-minute thought. It was something God had not only planned, he had promised he would do. So think about this. What does that do to our own perspective of our journeys? See, we tend to think about, if you're a Christian here today, you tend to think about your salvation and how long you've been a Christian in terms of two years, five years, 20 years. I've been a Christian for so long. But when we read and understand that our salvation in the context of this larger timeline, that your salvation is rooted in a promise God made thousands of years ago. Did you catch that today? Your salvation today is rooted in a a promise that God made long time before Jesus was born in a manger. You're included in that promise in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. But not only that, your salvation will extend far beyond this life. Now, why is that important? Because we, like the nation of Israel, are prone to misinterpret the promises of God and to see them as too small. To think of that salvation is just about this life, about making this life better, about making these circumstances better. And if things are going right in my life today, right now, then God, I must have God's favor and he's with me. Oh, but if I hit a tough season, if I walk through a season of struggle or darkness or depression, then I've lost God's favor and therefore I've lost his promises. And what God is saying, no, 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 that's not how I operate. My promise is much bigger than your moment here on earth. My promise is to be with you in good times and bad times, to walk with you right through seasons of victory and through the valley of the shadow of death. To understand that God's promises extend far beyond your small piece of the timeline of human history as far back as we said this all today in Genesis 12, but listen, extending far, far beyond this moment into the future for all eternity. Now, I don't know if you're prone to view the world through your circumstances in any given moment, but my hope and my prayer for us today is that we realize that what God is doing in our lives right now in this moment in West Fort Worth at Solid Rock Church, 10 a.m. service, is connected to eternity, connected, directly connected to eternity. I want to I land here with you today. I don't want to presume um, to know everybody in the room. Obviously, I don't, but I certainly don't know your life story and your journey, and I don't know where you are. And my first question is this. Have you come to the place in your life, like Abraham, like the long list of people in the Bible, like a long list of names of people in this church where you have trusted that Jesus is the Christ. That's what it boils down to for you today. God has made a dramatic promise to you. He made this promise long before you were born. And the question isn't how cool you are, how spiritual you are, how religious you are, how how churchy you look or act. That's not it. God is saying, have you simply come to the place where you've trusted that my son Jesus is the Christ? Based on faith in Jesus, you are mine. Whatever excuses you have for reasons why God wouldn't love you, God says those are great excuses and they're actually all true. You you have no merit in yourself. There's nothing about you that would cause me to fall in love with you. You're not super cool. But here's what God says, but I love you still. I know it all and I love you still. 
by simply trusting in Jesus, you're mine. I want to end here by leading you in a time of prayer this morning. Um, As I invite the worship team to come back up, um, I invite you to spend a moment in prayer with me. And and first and foremost, um, if you're at that place in your journey where you're ready, you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to experience the promises of God in your life, you're ready to see yourself as part of God's kingdom, one of his children, I want you to understand that it's simply a prayer of faith you pray in your own heart. I don't have all the magic words for you. It's got to be something you believe. I'm going to guide us now in a prayer, and if if you're here today and you're ready to trust in Christ for the first time, um, I invite you to say these words after me. But listen, if you don't believe them, it does nothing for you. So you can pray whatever words are in your own heart, but it simply is something like this. And let's pray together. Father, today I choose to believe. I choose to believe that Jesus is more than simply a baby born in a manger. He's more than just the reason for the season. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he commands all of eternity. Today I choose to believe in the work that Jesus has done for me. That he was born, he walked a perfect life, he died sacrificially and he resurrected from the grave victoriously that I could have victory over sin and death. Today I need to be rescued, God. Today I bring you my life and I lay it down. God, I'm asking that you adopt me into your family, make me yours. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and and you've been a Christian for some time. And so today for you is more about understanding that your circumstances in any given moment of your life are so much bigger than you. That what God is doing in your life is connected to eternity. Maybe you're in a season of struggle right now and you're going into the Christmas season just hesitant, not excited. hope and I pray today that you've seen that what God is doing in eternity is bigger than your current struggle. That even in the midst of struggle, depression, darkness, hardship, you can have a heart of joy. Knowing that that Jesus has come to rescue rescue you from your greatest enemies of sin and death. So I want to kind of land here that for all of us this Christmas season, for whatever your traditions are and whatever you're looking forward to, that as a church family, one of the primary themes of our worship would be, thank you, God, for sending your son to rescue me from my sin and from death. Pray that that would become our anthem, our theme of worship this Christmas season. I invite you to respond to God however he's leading now as our band prepares to lead us in worship.